Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another amazing episode of the Second Act Podcast. Today we have a unique guest, wouldn't you say, Dad? Yeah, to say the least. I'm really anxious to see what the feedback on this one's going to be like. Just before we get into that, the Second Act Podcast would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on Treaty 7 land inhabited by the Blackfoot Nations, which includes the Siksika, Pikani, and the Kainai. We'd also like to acknowledge the Sitsina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, as well as the Métis Nations and all people who inhabit the Treaty 7 land in southern Alberta. So you've listened to the pod. What do you find most interesting about it? Well, for me, it's definitely because of my age being 13. It's when her mom gave her a vibrator at 13. Well, and you don't, uh, you don't, I guess, understand exactly the openness of that relationship because uh, it's still a little taboo. Exactly. And talking about that stuff with your parents isn't exactly a norm. So it's quite an interesting thing that her and her mother had that her mother was open enough to buy her that. Well, I imagine that uh, we've got a bunch of people wondering exactly who our guest is and what she's all about. So with that, let's welcome Olivia Hartley to the Second Act Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So um, Olivia, you have a unique vocation currently and uh, you kind of, through the Aaron Evans Podcast was how I heard of you. And then Mm -hmm. actually um, a friend of mine uh, who, who you know from growing up reached out to me and said, hey, did you know that this person that's on the Aaron Evans podcast this week, um, you know, the story? And I so I went and listened to it. I listened to Aaron's podcasts and, and I was like, cool. And so I was chatting with her and I said, do you think there's a chance? And and she's like, well, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? So so here we are. Here we are. I'm so glad you reached out. So why don't you, um, I guess, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of your vocation currently and then maybe just take us back into who you are and how you got there. Cool, right on. Um, So my name is Olivia Hartley. Um, I'm a white, queer, cis, femme sex worker operating on the unceded Coast Salish territory of the Lekwungen and Usanek nations, also known as Victoria, BC here on the island. Um, I identify as a sex worker. Um, The more more specifically, the kind of sex work I do is it's called full service sex work, also known as escorting, prostitution, uh, the French call it fille de joie, which means girl of joy, which I just absolutely love. Um, and yeah, and so, yeah, my job is probably what people will think is what they see on CSI Miami or what you see on freaking Pretty Woman or whatever, but there are so many different layers to this industry. And just sort of like as a brief description definition for your listeners, um, sex workers, are adults who receive money or goods in exchange for consensual sexual services or erotic performances, not to be confused with sexual trafficking, because that's non-consensual. I won't get into that because it's not my forte, it's not my industry. I want to focus on sex work and the consensual aspect of it all. So some types of sex work include stripping, camming, escorting, uh, full-service sex work, indoor or outdoor, peep show performances, porn, erotic massage, sugaring, dungeon work, BDSM, phone sex, uh, selling your panties or socks on the internet, um, anything that's erotic or sexual in nature kind of falls under the sex work umbrella. Um, and it seems like you, like there, there is so much in our society that this encompasses mm-hmm. and yet it's also kind of, there's like some taboo around it and you, it sounds like you're very 
open about it and you, and you're, you know, you, you get up every morning a little bit to try and take maybe one person's view down from 11 to maybe yeah. a nine and maybe tomorrow <laughs> it'll be a seven kind of thing. Right. Totally. Oh my God. That's sort of my, like my mission statement in life is to kind of open people's eyes to what this industry actually looks like, the types of people who are involved in the industry um, and kind of just to demystify what you see in the media or on TV or in the news or maybe your preconceived notions that you grew up with because there are so many layers to this work and I can't speak for all sex workers. Like sex workers can be folks of all genders, all ages, all sexual orientations, everything. And it's just such a varied industry. So I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I definitely am able to kind of give my take on it. And yeah, I think there's a lot of value in that. And I hope I can do my part to open some eyes because my eyes were open to it. And I really like to, yeah, bring some truth if I can. So, so why don't you talk a little bit about how maybe the, the work you were in prior that led to your eyes being opened and, and the decisions that kind of fell or that, that you, you made to end up doing something like this, uh, this kind of work with, with the mission that you've kind of stated in front of you. Fabulous. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, God, growing up, I was, Pretty, I was a pretty sexual young being and I knew, I figured it out pretty quickly is a good way to say it. And so I would just get these surges of urges and I'd want to just like, I was like, what is this energy? What is it? Why am I feeling like this? Oh my God. Like, you know what hormones happen when you're pre-teen. Yeah. It's exciting and it's scary. And I was, I felt a lot of shame around it. And then um, I think my mom must've caught me masturbating or whatever, humping pillows and she kind of was like, oh, okay, it's time. And so she kind of sat me down one day and came home and was like, honey, if you're anything like your father and I, you have a lot of sexual urges and that's totally okay. And, you know, what's important is that you acknowledge that this is a safe, healthy environment and your pleasure is as important as another person's that you're going to be sharing it with. And so she gifted me my first vibrator and I must have been 13. And I was like mortified. Yeah. But that kind of was like a really huge pinnacle moment in my life because I was like, wow, okay, this woman wants to see me succeed. She wants me to have a really fulfilling life. She acknowledges that sexuality isn't shameful or inherently um, bad. And so to for her to give me that gift, like that was a massive, like groundbreaking moment in my story. And so from there, I kind of explored and you kind of, you know, kind of become more aware of your own sexual identity and your sexual preferences. And... I didn't, I don't think I lost my virginity until I was 18. And then, you know, I had a good classic uh, preteens, early 20s kind of moment. But my mind always sort of veered towards sex and sexuality and pleasure and the politics of pleasure, the politics of sex. And I really wanted to become a sex therapist. And so I researched the heck out of it. I, con I connected with sex workers, or sorry, sex therapists in Vancouver and Victoria. I interviewed them. I wanted to know where they started. I wanted to know how they got to where they were. And that was going to be my plan. So I was going to do my undergraduate degree in gender sexuality studies, use that as a base, as a foundation <clears throat> to one day do my master's, probably in counseling psychology, blend the two and become a therapist. <clears throat> and so I finished my undergrad. Life took some crazy turns, put everything sort of like on the back burner. And then I was away living in Europe for a little bit. And then I kind of had like this aha moment. I was like, okay, I think the kind of sex therapy I want to get into is really hands-on. It's really 
um, face to face. It's not exactly adhering to the ethical boundaries that are uh, that apply to you when you are a therapist. And so right. I was like, I think I want to become an escort. And I dipped my toe into different avenues of sex work prior. And I kind of wanted to wait until I was in the right headspace that I was in the right frame of mind to jump into this next venture because I wanted to be um, I wanted to be stable and I wanted to be grounded because I knew that it was going to take a lot out of me, but I also wanted to put a lot of myself into it. So I wanted to be fully present. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like this is wild. So I researched the heck out of that as I do. I told my parents, I was like, okay, mom and dad, like I'm going to be doing this now. I don't want you to be in the shadows. I don't want to hide. I don't want to lie. I want you to know what's going on in my life. And I want to have conversations about it. And I want you guys to be on board. And they're like, yeah, okay, cool. So came home and started at a brothel, which was really cool because I got to kind of see what that was all about. Wasn't a great fit for me. Decided to start at a different escort agency, better fit, loved it, learned so much. And then I just jumped off to being an independent escort back in April of 2021. So just this year. Holy cow. That's, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's quite a story. That's yeah. um, the, the, the recurring theme through all of that, that I think, I don't know how unique it is. You would know better than I, but my perception of that is um, you're, you're, you were far more in control of, of all the things that that led to this, then I think that I'm not going to, okay. So going forward, I'm not going to say to the public, I'm going to use my perceptions and, sure. and, and I, I'm asking you, I'm going to tell you that so that you can help me understand and educate me rather than judge me for not knowing or having these, these oh, preconceived notions. Totally. We're all learning here. And like, I'm still learning. I'm not perfect. And I'm totally down to have like an open, honest conversation where we both. Yeah. Learn. So my perception is a lot of people end up doing what you're doing because the control has been taken away from them and they're they're kind mm. of trying to make do with, with the tools that they have to, to whether it's provide for somebody or get out of a situation or feed an addiction or whatever some situation they're in. Yeah. And your story is not that, very no. much not that. Yeah, it's not like that. But like I totally acknowledge and validate people who do get into that work coming from that avenue. So like we're all trying to survive under this, like, we're all trying to survive capitalism with varying degrees of privilege, regardless of what we do for work. And like, that's it. Like, we're all trying to friggin' survey, survive. And so sex work kind of enables you to take back your power in a way. So imagine if you are disabled, you're neurodivergent, you're trans, you're a single mother, and you're trying to like maintain a job in the vanilla job market. And it's nearly impossible because there's no wiggle room for sick days. There's no wiggle room for childcare. There's no wiggle room to make your own hours, set your own rates. So sex work kind of affords you this flexibility to kind of tailor your life around your work or no tailor your work around your life, I guess it would be a better fit. And I hate that like nobody asks if your job is empowering unless it has to do with sex work. I see that a lot. And um, yeah, a job doesn't need to be empowering to be valid and yeah it's just a weird narrative that comes up a lot but what i find empowering about this work is that yeah you can set your own hours you can set your own rate you can yeah kind of make it work for you well and it's it's interesting that that there's like that narrative on the other side um in in sex work that is kind of the opposite of the narrative like the the in the corporate world or whatever it's like the you know women 
typically make less money for similar jobs. And, and there's like, you know, and as soon as that balance is struck by this other, in this other industry, now there's, there's another question about, well, like, is this empower? You know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, you, you, you were very, you know, very close at one point in your life and, and maybe we'll end up there someday once you garner all this experience to working in that style of, of life. I mean, if you're a therapist at some point, you, you're going to have your own practice probably, and you'll be able to control some things, but to get there, you still have to put in those clinical hours and work under people and make sure, you know, that you're achieving goals laid out by somebody else to, to be declared able to do mm -hmm. that work. Yeah. And you kind of just said, not today and went and did something on your own. And you, you, you did, it wasn't like you just hung a shingle the first day you went and worked under other people and learned, mm -hmm. which is every, every, job every career has that but then okay. then you were able to just go okay now this is what i want to do and and with the power of social media and, and the internet and stuff like that um you're able to create this this life for yourself with this rewarding uh career and and this rewarding um lifestyle it, it's just i think there's there's that's the part that doesn't get talked about it's the other okay. parts that that maybe i showed my ignorance when i when i made the comments about before that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's really yeah, it's an interesting industry for sure. And so varied, like I'm still learning things about the industry. I didn't know, but yeah. So you, you said that I have, I have the word written down here. Um, and you said it a second ago. Um, what, what's the word stereotype mean to you? Mm, good question. Stereotype means to me, yeah, something that we fall back on without taking the chance to figure it out for ourselves, I suppose. Like, I guess in regards to my industry, I had an idea that sex workers were desperate, that this was like a last resort, that this was um, a violent vocation. But yeah, I totally like thought that until I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I want to do my own research. I want to see what this is actually like. I want to actually talk to people in the industry rather than get my information from the media and Hollywood, which is so not even the case. Um, so I don't know. I guess that kind of answers the question. But yeah, I, mean, I, I think of stereotype, I think of lazy. Like, why didn't you go make your own conclusions? Well, and that's like uh, that's a thing that is. I think about often because um, through the, through the pandemic and the way things have gone, you know, the, this, there's this focus on mental health and, mm -hmm. and I think it's, there's an awareness. I think there's always been focuses on it in places, but the awareness that mental health can affect so many different things is real now for people. And, mm -hmm. and we have this, you know, I'm a, a, a early forties Caucasian male heterosexual I have a 13 year old son and an 11 year old daughter and a wife who loves me. And I have a good job in an industry that's not going anywhere. Like I am the guy who has nothing to complain about. There is, mm -hmm. I, and, and I realized through all of this that, but it's okay for me to have doubts and fears. And, and I have every advantage that society could ever possibly lined up. And some days I still wake up and go, you know, what, how, what about this? Am I enough? Is this enough? Mm. You know, all, am I doing the right things? And, you know, and it seems like somebody in your vocation that doesn't have kind of some of the tools that you very clearly have, 
that would be just a like a, a, a never-ending thing that that could contribute to some of the thing like some of the statistics that we read about with sex workers mm -hmm. that's probably as much as the violence or the the addiction or the whatever got them there in the first place yeah that's why you have actually asking sex workers what they need to feel supported is so important like that's why like grassroots movements are so like they're everything like they, that's why um yeah prioritizing experiential voices in the community is so important that's why yeah making laws around what sex workers actually want is so important because people yeah rely on the stereotypes and then that's when the danger happens so is there are there at least the seeds being sown for those programs around where you're at yeah oh my god so here in victoria we have peers victoria resources society they're phenomenal so they're a nonprofit by for and with sex workers and they really like i said before they prioritize the experiential voice and really um take a decolonial um lens to sex to sex work activism and they uh yeah they 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 cover everything so no matter what you do in the industry you can feel supported like they have um a group for indoor workers they have a support for folks working on the streets they have a home group for indigenous sex workers for trans non-binary two-spirit sex workers for men in the industry what have you and so Yes, peers in Victoria, there's Pace in Vancouver, there's Maggie's Toronto, and yeah, there's quite a few actually. So that's kind of nice to see. And is is it, uh, are those programs utilized properly? Like I, I think of, like we had these programs at some of the bigger companies I've worked at, but, but you, there was always a hesitancy to enroll in them or to use them because of the stereo, not the stereotype, but the, the it, it showed some some kind of a maybe a weakness or how it was perceived is are the are the sex workers that you're you know comfortable and familiar with are they is this something that if they need it they feel comfortable calling on it totally yeah i think because um the folks that are leading the programs are either sex workers themselves or sex worker allied and so folks can yeah they feel safe coming to us because they don't feel judged they know they're met where they're at. We're not trying to get them out of the industry. We're not going to try to make them stop using substances if they're substance reliant. We recognize that everybody has their own circumstances and that they're safe to come use these services in a non non judgmental accepting way, which is really nice. And so, yeah. And we've said that word a couple of times and, and that would that I guess the word safe that is like a it's it's means something different to every person mm -hmm. and you know, the perception I have of of sex workers, especially in a place like a large metropolis like the GTA or or Vancouver would be the lower mainland, I guess, would be that that safety is something that a sex worker is always kind of either has in the back of their mind or or striving for. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of as you got into to this work, how paramount was that in, in your mind and, and how some of the things that you were able to do to assuage those fears? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, safety is number one, safety is everything. And like anything, nothing's guaranteed. So my approach to safety is kind of from a harm reductionist aspect or approach. So when I'm 
doing services, like you, it's not safe sex, it's safer sex. So obviously I'm taking every precaution to keep myself and my clients safe. Um, when I'm doing my screening, I'm doing all of the things I can to not, you can't guarantee my safety, but do everything to lessen the chance of danger. And so screening is key, but it's also a privilege and, um, yeah, it's it, safety is never guaranteed, but you can take steps to do it. But I'm a huge believer in harm reduction. So like folks that um, are working and substance reliant, we take steps to keep them as safe as possible. So that's delivering uh, crack pipe, like free crack kits to folks that, who are using um, safe heroin use supplies, uh, safer sex supplies, condoms, lube, dental dams, what have you. Um, doing monthly testing, keeping yourself and your clients safe. So yeah, it's never guaranteed, but yeah, we do our best to keep ourselves and keep each other safe. And that's like, that, that, that kind of has to be, um, it's like any safety program with any yeah. job. Like if, if there's one rogue person that's not participating in the safety program, that the chance of that person ending up in an unsafe position is, is greater. And, and that, you know, it's no different than at a, you know, you, you see a construction site where there's a crane working. And yeah. if somebody puts a board over a piece of plywood over a hole and, and somebody steps on it and falls through that whole construction site shut down with, and it's been, there's a fatality. Um, we get our news in fits and spurts and we see the uh, sex worker um, fatality or, you know, mur found murdered on whatever mm -hmm. in, on East Hastings and that whole, everybody gets painted with that. So mm -hmm. is there like, how, how do we facilitate all that safe? Is that through the programs that you discussed earlier? It's through programs. It's through breaking down stigmas. It's through breaking down stereotypes. Like we talked before, it's about changing the laws that are thought to keep us safe, but don't actually keep us safe. So for instance, back in God, when was it? 2016? Bill C-36 got enacted. Harper's government did that. So Bill C-36 is called the Protection of Communities and Exploited Persons Act. And it essentially is a law that they thought would keep us safe, but it's not. It puts us in danger. So what the, essentially it's like the Nordic model, the same kind of thing they use in Sweden and the Netherlands. So it, um, it makes it illegal to purchase sexual services but what I'm doing is legal. And so there's this stupid gray area. And so, so clients might feel a degree of risk. And so that's when um, violence can happen against sex workers. Sex workers don't feel safe going to the authorities. Um, sex workers may feel unsafe accessing ser certain services for fear of outing themselves as being in the industry. And so why what we're fighting for is decriminalization, which puts everybody under sort of like a, on more even ground, so to speak. And this is what happens when you don't ask sex workers what they're after. These sort of dumb laws get put into place. But hopefully one day we'll change that. Well, and that's that was what I have, like, because you've said laws a couple other times and I had laws. Are we ready for that? Like, is our society as it's currently constituted ready to have the conversation that, hey, guys, this is happening, whether we morally agree with it or not. Um, and every person who's involved in this on both sides of the transaction deserve the same pr protection as anybody else on any other side of a transaction in our in our 
capitalistic society, right? Every mm-hmm. so much of our, our life these days is my time for your money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's just how things are set up and, and kind of we've decided that the things that happen during that time for that money, these things are okay. And these things aren't. And, mm-hmm. and now it's like, okay, we, we have only fans and we have all these different ways people can, can monetize this type of thing. And this is just another stream of it. And for whatever reason, it seems like the stigmas remained attached, you know, to certain parts of it. And are, are we ready for laws that, that can kind of try to, to, to level the playing field, so to speak? I hope so. I think it's time. I think it's fucking due time. It's been sex work and prostitution, escorting, whatever has been around since the dawn of time. It's going to happen with or without the laws. It's going to happen regardless. And yeah, I think it's time. I think, yeah, we've, we've seen enough. It's done. So that begs the question, is there an option out there that is aligned enough with this industry that you could see them table and pass legislation that actually helps sex workers on the front lines? Oh yeah, definitely. So there's a lot of debate around the difference between legalization of sex work versus decriminalization. And so what we're fighting for and what a lot of sex worker rights um, groups are fighting for are is decriminalization. And so decriminalization is the removal of criminal penalties for sex work and that would make it so that sex workers receive the same protection and recognition as workers in other industries and so that would put us in a lot safer light in the eyes of the law and so we see a lot of violence as a result of vulnerability that is created when sex work is labeled as or when sex workers are labeled as criminals and so we're doing a job just like everybody else and we deserve the same rights protections and laws um, so that we can feel safe at work because everybody can everybody deserves to feel safe at work um so yeah i hope to see that one day i think that would be really really neat and so another reason why i think that would be just so cool is that we would have more protection we could be more out we could have we could feel safer to hire security drivers accountants um it would just put yeah it would would put our business in a better legal light so to speak is there issues around hiring things like security and getting professional services to help you with it based off of how you generate that income yeah there are issues i think just because everything everything we do is so under the table um even even hiring like a driver like if they are Uh, benefiting off of the avails of prostitution. So in the eyes of the law, they are breaking the law, but just nobody really comes down on us, but there is that risk. And so I think people might feel hesitant to accept a job in as a driver or as security or what have you. And so, yeah, it's tricky. It's such a weird gray area. Like I pay my taxes. I'm, I'm, I'm a registered business. I pay GST. I have my own health insurance like i have everything like i'm playing by the rules but it would just be so nice to be recognized in the law just so that if it came down to needing to use needing to have to go to the police like i could just be recognized as legitimate i guess yeah and yeah that like i mean and realistically the only way that occurs is with people like you that are willing to talk about it and and pull the curtain back a little bit and say this is this is what really happens Mm-hmm. These are the people who are really utilizing our services and there doesn't need to be a bunch of uh, shame or stigma attached to any of this. We can all just talk about it because to your point, a 
minute ago, this this isn't anything new. This is no. like something that's a revolution of the Western civilization, right? Absolutely. God, if people only knew just like how, obviously this, I, this is not everybody's experience, but I've had like some just amazing, beautiful, transformative, earth shattering, eye opening, joyous moments in this work. And I just, it's so life affirming and so fun and playful. I just wish people could see that. Like people have this also stigma on the other side about the people who seek our services, the clients that come to see us. People think that seeing a sex worker is, you have to be desperate, but it's not. It's about agency, like to be able to decide when, how, where you want to have a sexual experience um, is, it's amazing. Like be able to like give somebody the chance to explore, to experiment in a comfortable, safe, controlled container, like that there's no better way of being a human. Like that's what we're here to do. We're here to, you know, spread joy. We're here to be alive. We're here to, you know, suck the nectar out of every last moment of our lives. And so to be able to do that in a non-discriminating environment, I think that's just so beautiful. And yeah, just the choice to have sex, the sex and intimacy that you want and have it be accessible, have it be, um, to fill your cup up. Like, that's amazing. Like COVID has shown us like being isolated does freaking wreaks havoc on your mental health. Like, it has oh, yeah. Yeah. and so I've seen like people will come to me and they're like, I'm, I'm, I've skin hunger. I'm lonely just to like sit there and be held and be touched. Like I can feel them melt in my arms and it's beautiful. So yeah, it's definitely like, it's empowering to be able to seek the pleasure and touch that you crave and deserve because we're human beings at the end of the day. And, and people, people like they die, they get sick if they don't get touched. I remember my grandmother actually, she used to go to the NICU and go hold and cuddle all the preemie babies so that they would have skin touch. And I told my mom's like, you know, she's like, you're kind of carrying on that legacy in your own way. And I was like, oh, I know. Thanks, mom. <laughs> That's it's like, and you made mention of it earlier about how your your parents, you know, were were a little more open about it than maybe a lot of people will will have those experiences and, yeah. and how that shaped you. But it's still to you know, it's it's um, to my uh, whatever narrow minded view. It's mm. it, it's it's here. It's odd for me to hear you talk about discussing this stuff with your parents because. <laughs> Well, it's just, it is, and it's, it's great and it's wonderful, but it's, um, you know, you, you get to share that experience and you don't have to hide it. And I just, I, you know, I, I, it probably brings you a joy that people that don't have that opportunity, uh, brings you joy from your work to people that don't have that opportunity. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm very open with my parents. Obviously I don't breach confidential confidentiality between what happens with my clients and I, but I share stories and I share, um, little anecdotes and moments and like my mom and my dad like they're like I had all these preconceived notions prior to you getting into this and they're like I totally get it now I get it and even yeah my mom she's like honey I'm so proud of you like this is so neat and my dad he's like you know honey like this wouldn't have been my first choice of a career for you but I'm so proud of you you're breaking glass ceilings and you're doing you're you know carving your own path he's like what more could I ask for my kid well and a hundred percent. Right. Like I, I, I have kids as well. And I, yeah. I look around and see what, what's available. And it's like, there's, there's so much, so many different ways, so much different opportunity out there that it would really be disappointing for them to like, as great as it would be, 
for them to both come and say when they're 25, well, I went and got my bachelor degree in XYZ education and law and one's going into pre-law and one's going to be a teacher. And it's like, that's great. You're going to mm-hmm. have a great life, but, um, but there's a good chance that you're going to look back on it someday and go, did I get, did I ring the most out of those, those, those early twenties, thirties years? Probably not because you were totally. busy grading a grade two math quiz or something. Yeah. Like that. The grind. And yeah, it's just neat that I can, yeah, forge my own path in my own unique way. And it's really fun. It's just very, it's very validating. It's very liberating. I'm just having a hoot right now. Every day just keeps getting better and better. I have my off days, not going to lie. I'm a human being, duh. But some days I'm like, oh my God, like I am living a life that I never in my wildest dreams, was. I never thought it was possible. But it's my passion and it's, yeah, so many different adventures. I've learned so much about myself. I've learned so much about people. I've learned so much about what it means to be human that it's just, yeah, it's really cool. It's not for well, everyone, but it's, yeah, it's mine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I don't think, I think anybody who comes into to listening to this um, pod thinking, hmm, I'm, I'm on the fence and I wonder what Olivia has to say about it. That's not what this is. It's it's just understanding that that side of it and and it's not yeah. something that a lot of people are going to be exposed to so I, that's one that's why i thought it was going to be interesting was you know i have a couple of pods already done and i'm there's other people that are in a similar vein i, I i'll be honest with you olivia i have nobody else in this vein in the hopper this is like the most unique one i've done so <laughs> well i'm honored um the one thing i i kind of noticed is you talked a lot about the work that you do and and um, you, you speak a lot about the, the mental and spirituality side of when connecting with people. And I mean, you acknowledge that there is the physical too, but, um, is that, is that something that you bring specifically to this or is it something that you found was there when you got into it? It definitely, there were little veins of it I saw in the beginning, but just as my kind of career has blossomed, I've, I see it more and more every day. And so there are so many beautiful moments of transformation, of intimacy, of touch, of humans being humans. Like I just see, I see so much of the intersection between sex work and spirituality and sensuality and sacred intimacy. Everything comes together in my sessions. It's just so amazing to watch and it it melts my heart and it's neat to watch people who perhaps don't have <clears throat> as easy access to, to sexuality and sensuality. Like for instance, um, individuals with disabilities, physical disabilities, I see a lot of them, a lot of my clients um, are disabled and just to be able to be touched and held and acknowledged in the sacred sensual space, like they just melt in your arms and it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. I see people who just don't get intimacy on a daily basis their love cup isn't filled up they haven't felt whole in that sector of their lives for a very long time and so yeah i the moments are indescribable it's incredible but yeah the the intersection of sensuality sacredness sexuality is just well and and that um that that's a very difficult different physical um connection than than the connotation that typically goes along with the kind of work that you're in like that physical connotation has nothing to do with sexuality at first it's just about being physical having someone touch your skin yeah. ha- having that and then 
and that's all spiritual right like that totally. is 100 percent on the mental side spiritual and then you can go to the more physical in the sense that most people think of when they think of sex work and that that's a separate part but it's interesting to kind of talk about how that first physical part works with the spirituality side so hand in glove that maybe people don't think about right totally absolutely and people yeah they just they forget that like not to sound all woo woo but sex is a spiritual act it's what got us here like it is a fucking miracle that you can have intercourse with somebody and all of a sudden like you create a being like that is such a cool thing and to be able to hold somebody's pleasure and sexuality in this like limbo of creating this energy in this entity mm -hmm. it's pretty fucking it feels so powerful it's so cool so cool <laughs> well and it's it's funny how like the perception like you know you you see it on a movie or in a book or whatever you, and when you read it and and you bring this this beautiful woman flowers and she reacts in a certain way and yeah. when it doesn't happen in real life like you know with a, on a tinder date or with your wife or whatever um it's easy to to get disenchanted with that vision and then at some point you have this opportunity where you're you're in a transaction with someone and you're like you you do that and and it yeah. goes according to this way that you just always imagined it was going to go and you're like wait a second that was really cool and and you know i can see how um you know not necessarily playing a role but uh but playing a role kind of yeah. becomes people are like no that's what i want like that's the thing that i thought i wanted all along and then i went and had this opportunity i took it and i did it and it was everything i hoped it could be and then i just went back to my regular life right? yeah and, absolutely and it's an i think there's the mundane yeah and yeah escape that's i guess kind of the word that wasn't coming to my head that i was trying to uh that i was trying to discuss or uh or mention so that's interesting that you say that and and i guess that as much as you have like a typical like what what is it what does that look like for somebody so they they engage with you you guys agree on on that and and is there like uh you know this is this is kind of how i view this going or, or or do you just take it and play it by ear like you would you know meeting someone in real life good question um so people seem to research me quite a bit before they reach out and so i've got a website i have different advertisements on different platforms i have a twitter and so people kind of seek you out based on your vibe on your mandate on your you know right. but you can glean a lot out of somebody's wording out of the photos they share the content they share so people kind of see me and they're like, oh, okay, I want to reach out to her. She seems fun, which I am. And then, <laughs> um, yeah, they kind of send me an introductory email. I'll be like, hi, I'm so-and-so. Um, this is kind of what I'm after. I would love to set up an arrangement with you. I'm like, okay, cool. And then we finalize details. Sometimes I'll ask if it's if they want something sort of unique or outside the, um, I don't want to say norm because there's no such thing, but something unique or a special service and I'm like yep okay cool and kind of discuss um what that will look like but I like to do a lot of my discussions in person because I like to see somebody's vibe I want to make sure that they understand consent I want to make sure that they recognize that this is a a unique situation that um the time I give them is within the confines of our arranged time slot like yep you're not to text me outside of our time unless it's to you know unless there's certain circumstances you can but i'm not your girlfriend i am your i am your lady of the day your little escape and so right. yeah it's 
every situation is so different. A lot of people are married and I don't demonize them at all because I have my own I have my own hesitations around the confines of like traditional monogamy. And so when people come to me that are married, I see a lot of shame. I see a lot of hesitation, but I see a recurring theme of my wife no longer wants to touch me and I'm feeling really lost. I'm feeling empty and I'm like, okay, amazing. You're outsourcing. This is great. And I'm here for that. And I, re I respect the, the confines of your relationship outside of this little love den and I'm not going to interfere with your marriage. I'm not going to interfere about, you know, I'm not going to mess up your life, essentially. But I think it's neat that people feel safe, come and come to see us. Because, of course, you want to feel fulfilled. Like, we're human beings. And to, you know, kind of trod through this earth that already feels heavy. Like, we're all feeling the heaviness from COVID right now. But if I can give somebody, like, a moment of solace, I don't care what brought you there. I'm just, Yeah. I want to be. You just want to be. Yeah, I just want to be. Let's just be. Let's just be together. Okay. Well, I was waiting for you to tell me what you wanted to be, and then I, I could tell <laughs> that you were done. And I was like, okay. Well. Um, and that's that's like this the self awareness that shone through in the last ninety seconds of you talking um, was incredible because you you were uh, you, like you're aware of all the other things that are going on in this person's life, and you're like, hey. This is how it goes. You 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 reached out to me, and you yeah. you've communicated what what you feel like you're missing, and you're you've you've decided that you think I can help you with that. And I'm and you're saying like I'm not judging you on the other stuff, and and that is a whole you know that I, I don't have any predilection to getting into that conversation mm -hmm. on this podcast. That's it's but you're just the the confidence and self awareness that you speak of that with. Um, it, it's obvious that uh, this is not something that you haven't thought about or take lightly and it's totally. it's incredible to me again with my ignorant perceptions of all what's going on and with it with your being a sex worker and in that in that vocation that you're you know you've reconciled this and and this is um this is who you are this is what you do and the people that like you're not out flagging people down they're yeah. coming to you and you're taking and you're you're just doing your thing and i i think uh, I think it's awesome, but I'm curious, was that like day one? Was it like that for you? Or is this something that you've grown into? Um, I think day one, I had <clears throat> a vague idea, but now it's just, it's become so entrenched in my view of the work and my mandates in my everything that like, I don't even think twice about it. Honestly, I, I like, I don't see anything wrong with two consenting adults engaging in a boundaried act where like both parties are super keen like i don't see anything wrong with that and so like when laws come in and they try to like scooch between us in the bedroom i'm like get out get yeah. out politics why like, you should have no say in what we do i don't think so and like just getting it makes me so angry but yeah just be able to hold space for somebody and to be that person, I just, it's the greatest gift in the world. And my favorite thing ever is getting emails, follow-up emails about like the session that we just yeah. had. Can I share one right now? Absolutely. <clears throat> Pardon me while I clear my throat. This is a fellow who came to see me. I don't even know his relationship status, but it doesn't matter. But he said to me, hi, Olivia. I just wanted to pass on a quick thank you for seeing me today. 
Prior to this morning, I don't think I really knew what I was truly seeking in terms of a service provider encounter. The experience you provided ended up being exactly what I needed, and not because of what we did, but because of your personality, your approach to the session, and your energy, for lack of a better adjective. I think society seriously undervalues the good someone of your caliber in your line of work can do for others. I hope you don't underestimate the skill and talent required to excel at your profession because you definitely have a gift. I wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Kind regards. I burst into tears clearly after that. How do you like, not? I, just it. I know. Oh, yeah. You're so lovely. So so when you're when you get something like that, um and and you have to kind of reconcile that with what you're when you started this this journey, um what you thought success was going to be when you started this journey and then you get a, a note like that and you're trying to reconcile does this look like what i thought success what is success for you olivia that's that's the question i always try to wrap kind of the the is are you successful doing what you you're doing and is it what you thought it was going to be great question great question um success mm. for me i think the definition of success or living successfully would be waking up every day and being proud of who you are and what unique gifts you bring to the world. Um, one of my favorite quotes, I think it was my grad quote, it was by Dr. Maya Angelou and she said, be a rainbow in someone else's cloud. And I like to think that's kind of what I do with my work. And I, I just, there's nothing better than that. So that's my definition of success. Being a rainbow in someone's cloud. Being a rainbow in somebody's cloud is a noble goal for sure. But the the most interesting part about what Olivia brought to this conversation was the stark, um, unapologetic tone that she uh, approaches her job with. She she doesn't really um, apologize for anything, and and not that I think she should, but it's not the most socially acceptable job. And it's it's interesting that she's worked through it in in her mind and it's not um anything but a job to her she talked about how i'm not your girlfriend you know you don't text me this was a uh an arrangement that we made it was a transaction and now i'm on to the next one and it's it's really opened my eyes to to people out there doing that this kind of work with that mentality i i think i had a very different view of what got people into this work and what kept people into this work and well, I'm not saying that that isn't the case um, for this person that we talked to here today. That's not the case. And she was able to really accurately and eloquently describe why she does the work that she does and what she gets out of it and what she hopes that other people can see when they talk about sex workers and, and the different pitfalls that they they face as they're, as they're doing you know, just their job. Really interesting conversation. Um, that's the best part about this this podcast is just getting to talk to all kinds of different people with different jobs, doing different things for different reasons and putting it out there. People can decide one way or the other what they think, but it doesn't change the fact that Olivia Hartley is out there doing this for a living and there is no shortage of demand for it. And, you know, she, she makes comment like, you don't know the people that are working in the sex uh, sex work industry well you don't know the people who are utilizing them either really interesting stuff to talk about another great episode lots of fun this week 
And I hope you guys enjoyed the the intro that Liam and I put together. I'm, I'm going to start to include him a little bit more. I think he's got a really unique perspective on things, and it's a lot of fun to, to include him on stuff. And uh, we really hope that you guys are enjoying this. It's a lot of fun, and we hope that uh, you guys are able to subscribe and, and download. Don't just listen. Download. That that makes a big difference on, on how the the analytics look on, on, uh, on the pod. If you can download it, listen to it and delete it, it actually looks different when, when we're trying to understand who, uh, who's consuming our, our content and, and what that looks like. We have a bunch of really good ones coming up over the next, uh, couple of weeks and we hope you guys stick around, uh, right up till the new year. Um, and then we'll go from there. Uh, we've got some other stuff lined up for the new year. It's been a lot of fun. So, there's no wrong answers, no test at the end. Make the most out of every day. The Second Act Podcast would like to thank Ben Sound for the intro and outro music. Happy Rock. That is www.bensound.com. We'd also like to thank Chin Whiskers for the promotional consideration. You can find them at your local Tommy Guns, Original Barbershop, Amazon, or chinwhiskers.ca. And we would also like to thank you for listening.